Alright everybody, welcome back. Episode number two. Uh, I'm here, I'm Jake, as always. I am your host for Dragging the Lake. Uh, had a really good time with episode one. It was just me rambling, talking in your ear, talking all kind of shit. Maybe it's some stuff you don't want to hear, maybe it's some stuff you enjoyed for whatever reason. Not entirely sure why you did, but that's not the point. Today's gonna be a lot better. Uh, and today is going to be better because we got our first guest, and that person is Marcus. Marcus, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm happy to have you. I mean, you've had me on your show, what, twice Three now? Times. Three times. Okay, that's right. Three times. And uh, I think we had a really good chemistry there, man. I, I had a really good time. Uh, tell, tell everybody about your show. Uh, so I host a podcast called MCMF. Uh, it is a comic book podcast where I make my friends read comic books. Uh, so in the past, when Jake's been on, I've made him read uh, The Judas Contract, uh, Punisher Max, and Sex Criminals, which... <laughs> uh, Unfortunate title, but it's, it's really good, I promise. It's not what you think it is. It is not what you Every think time I've mentioned it... Every time I mention it to my wife, I'm like, yeah, there's this comic. You, you might actually like it. It's called Sex Criminals. And she just has to contemplate whether or not the marriage was a good idea. Uh, <laughs> it is about people who commit crimes because they can stop time when they have sex. It's not about... <laughs> right. And that all makes perfect sense, I promise you, dear listener. Um, but... We don't have time <laughs> to talk about... <laughs> listen to episode 15 of MCMF, we explained it there. Or just listen to all of them, because yeah. Marcus is great, yeah. and great fun. Um, so anyway, today we're going to be doing something cool. Uh, it's our first guest episode, and I'm going to structure these uh, to be a little more fun, a little bit more open-ended, I guess, than what I would like to do with my solo episodes. Um, for this episode, for one thing, I'm not picking any albums... So you don't get to hear me talk about albums that I know about and love. I'm getting to listen to albums that somebody else knows about and loves. Uh, which honestly is kind of the point of the show. Uh, I have a really good time sharing music, making playlists for people is my love language. And when people make playlists for me, I get really excited because that's something totally new. And most importantly, bringing it back to the purpose of this whole show... I get to learn something about the person who put this together, uh, and I get to get a little window into their worldview uh, and their personality based on the kind of art that they prefer. Um, and with metal, with such a wide-ranging, uh, you know, umbrella being that it is, um, and we're going to test the outer limits of that today because there are some of the albums that you pick, Marcus, that are really out there and really unusual for metal. It's not your straightforward kind of stuff, so. Uh, I think that it's it's going to be a fun conversation. I think we're going to get a little vulnerable here on Dragging the Lake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Um, but uh, to start off, um, in order for me to share something with the guest, uh, I have tasked Marcus leading up to this episode to listen to the five albums that I considered to be essentials, right? And this is going to be a staple of all of our guest episodes. The guest has to listen to the essential albums that I picked on the previous episode, uh, and then they get to give their reactions and their response to it. Uh, and so, let's kick it off real quick. Marcus, first of all, 
Have you ever listened to any of these albums before? I had. I've listened to tracks off of Ironworks because uh, I love the Dilletro Escape Plan. Um, I've listened to that Sabbath album um, in parts. Uh, you know, because I worked in a music store selling instruments for four years. So I've heard basically every Sabbath riff a million times. <laughs> It, sure, some asshole always came into play it, I'm right, sure. Right, yeah, but it's like, listening back to it in in its original form, it's like, damn, this is why this shit stuck around, because this shit is so cool. Right. Um, so, good. so otherwise, not familiar? Not familiar, otherwise. Oh man, that's the best part. That's really what I love, and, and I think that going forward, you know, depending on who the guest is, I think I kind of have it in mind where I'm going to force them out of their comfort zone if I know what their comfort zone is um, and I think it really was serendipitous that I managed to pull that off this time because I remember seeing you tweet that or you you messaged me or something that you were looking at that pig destroyer and feeling a little bit scared <laughs> um, but we had some good conversations about it man I, I think that I think that you learned something yeah I learned what it feels like to have my fucking bones crushed in by <laughs> by how brutal that <laughs> album is like I that Oh yeah, the drums on Terrifier, like that was like that whole album kicks ass. But like the thing that stuck out to me was that these drums are like a jackhammer. Like they, <laughs> that's crazy. I mean that in the best way because like because that's not what I picked out. See, that's that's one thing that I wanted to get into here is that whenever I listen to that album, I don't think about the drums at all. All I hear is Scott Hall on that guitar, and I've described it as sounding like a chainsaw multiple times because it sounds like a chainsaw. Yeah. Like, that thing is shredding. Yeah. Um, well, I, I got to look at the track list here because, like, one, the th first thing I noticed when I pulled it up was it is 20 tracks long and it is 32 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so Classic funny. grindcore move. That's, that is grindcore, it, it, like, distilled into one thing. And it's worth noting that there is a track on there that's three and a half minutes long. So that, you know what I mean? So that's that's carrying a lot of weight. Yeah. On that runtime. Like, it's, um, I think it was Grave Dancer that came up and I was like, oh, this rules. Um, and it's, the thing about it, too, that, like, really, about the, like, the length and about the, the runtime is that all of these songs are so fast but I still get the vibe that they wrote a lot of this like back to back to back because it all flows yeah. so well into each other. Um, where I would look down because um, like a lot of times when I want to listen to music, I'll put my headphones on and I'll draw or I'll do something because um, I that's just how my brain processes things the best. Like I have to sure. be stimulated in two ways. Um, and so I you know I'm working on something and I'd look up. And I'm four tracks later. I'm like, what? <laughs> what just happened? Because there's nothing jarring about the the jumping between songs. Right. Um, and then one thing that yeah. we talked about uh, was the lyrics, um, because I think when people think grindcore, the last thing they think of is like it being poetic. And there's a lot of like poetic imagery in the lyrics. You've just gotta know what the hell he's saying. Yeah, and and part of that is, and part of that is tough because like I I think that you mentioned that this this album is all vibes right now and the vibes are intense and brutal, and like that's 
that's and I mentioned I think to Converge Jane Doe is similar in the same way mm-hmm. in that the lyrics are often intentionally unintelligible but when you actually go through and read them they're extremely profound right. but then once you have that knowledge and you listen to the vocals which basically are just an instrument at that point they're not there to literally say anything mm-hmm. um, you're still getting what they're they're trying to get across even if you don't know the words themselves right um, and I always thought that was really really impressive uh, about them I'm actually pulling up probably my it like rolls in my brain over and over again was towering flesh my favorite track on the album uh, the one that's oh, so that is the three and a half minute one yeah where he says her lips are wet with venom her posture serpentine she'll touch my arm and flowers grow there poisonous and obscene and it's like that's not something you expect to hear in a grind no. song <laughs> no it is poetic just imagining like you hear that you know you're at you're at the show you you're you get like just laid out in the pit and that's like you as <laughs> what you hear as you're blacking out <laughs> you feel like it's just the concussion speaking yeah, like you get windmill um, kicked across the side of the head <laughs> alright well we gotta move on to the next album as much as I'd love to sit here and talk about Terrifier all night cause god damn I love that album um, we'll move on to Ironworks by Dillinger Escape Plan and I have often said that this might be my favorite metal album of all time it might be it's almost certainly my favorite from that decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, this came out in 2006, I want to say. 2006, 2007. 2007, because I think uh, 2006 was Miss Machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. So yeah, 2007, uh, for context, I was in seventh grade. Uh, so this hit me like right in the prime years of, oh, this is the best thing I've ever <laughs> heard, you know? <laughs> um. So yeah, tell me about your your uh, your relationship to the album now. What did what did it do for you? Um, so I think because I already have like an existing uh, like love for this band, uh, it was like really just like oh yeah, this is my shit. But like especially uh, Black Bubblegum is one that does it for oh, me. Yeah. And um, God, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's a uh, oh Mouth of Ghosts and. Uh, Sick, sick on Sunday, because sick on Sunday does this thing, and again to come back to come to the drums. I don't know what it is with me and percussion. I wanted to be a drummer at one point. I auditioned for drumline in high school, did not make it. Uh, but one thing Dillinger Escape Plan does um, on some songs, and I always think it's really cool, is they start doing weird, like out of time stuff with the drums. Like one of us is the killer. Uh, is one of my favorite songs by them, and it does that. Oh, yeah. The, the bass drum is just doing this weird thing against the vocals, and Sick on Sunday does that. Um, and then um, uh, Mouth of Ghosts uh, is really kind of like everything that I love about that band all at once. Yeah, yeah. And there's, and there's a lot of cool... I, I think that this is the one that I love so much by them, because... You know, I think every artist, regardless of genre, hits a point, if they're great, you know, if they're truly great, then they'll hit an arc where they're developing over time, of course, as artists should. Um, And looking in retrospect, you can kind of see where they were going and where they were coming from. And then there was that nice spot where you felt the genius kind of peaked, Mm -hmm. right? Where 
they knew where they were trying to progress, they knew where they were coming from, and they found a way to make those uh, work together at the same time. There's a sort of synchronicity moment there. Um, I think of somebody like Kanye West having that run of Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and Yeezus, I think that was when his worlds collided, you know, where his genius, finally everything came together into one. Uh, And I think Ironworks was like that for for Dillinger. I don't think they have a bad album. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really? No, they don't. Um, But you listen to this, and this is kind of like when I recommend uh, Haruki Murakami books to people, I always tell them either read After Dark because it's a nice little appetizer, or go ahead and go for the best one and read Wind Up Bird Chronicle because every single thing you want to know about this artist, you will know by the end of that book. And it's the same thing with Dillinger and Ironworks. I think you pretty much get an idea for who they are if you listen to this album. By the way, bit of trivia, two things. One, uh, Brent Hines from Mastodon does make a cameo on this album, which is sick. Uh, he's on, what is it, Horse Hunter? Is that oh, the song? God, Horse Hunter's fucking yes. awesome great song he pops in always happy to hear him his voice is so perfect not what i'd expect for dillinger um but for the mastodon heads out there which there should be a lot of you listening to this um that's a pretty cool little bit of trivia the more interesting bit of trivia is that this album may or may not have been written about sasha gray oh my god that's I remember you said it, like, hey, one of these albums may or may not have been written about Sasha Gray, and yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense, first of all, 2007. Right, of the time. Of the time. Uh, Greg Pichotto, on the vocals, was dating Sasha Gray around this time. So, when you go back and you listen to songs like Black Bubblegum, like um, Dead is History like Milk Lizard, they may or may not have been written about one Sasha Gray. And every single time I listen to those songs, and I listen to them a lot, Marcus. I listen to this album a lot. (laughs) Um, I can't help but think that he was somewhere heartbroken over Sasha Gray. (laughs) Listen. Writing his math core album. That's that's gotta be a special kind of heartbreak. Ooh, that's gotta you got that's gotta be that's gonna stick in your teeth like forever yeah there's a lot of inner windows coming out of us right now Um, (laughs) but so let's let's just move on (laughs) see if if you want to be a real uh lore head for us which dear god what is wrong with you but like if you really want to dig into jake and marcus lore you'll go back and listen to our sex criminals episode and pick out all the bits of trivia that i found out about stars <laughs> that i thought were relevant to it or not relevant and i just thought they were cool when you said big black um, box i thought we were done talking about jade of fire i think that's one of my best that's, moments thank oh, you oh man I, listen total slight tangent uh a guy I used to work with listens to the podcast. And he like he cracked up about that episode for like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I've le- I've made an impact. I've done it. I've left my mark on the world. I can rest. Listen, I work serving homeless people. Okay, I have worked with domestic violence victims. I have worked with people who have lost their jobs and need their benefits, and they're come to me crying for help. I've worked in food pantries. And you telling me that tells me that I've left a mark on the world. Because I was doubting it. 
I was doubting it. Oh, but apparently I did he, something for something. I walked up to him and he just looked at me and said, Juicy Crohn's. <laughs> okay, 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 enough. Everybody go listen to the episode that, that we're talking Finish this about. episode great time. and then go listen to that one. And then go listen to the other one immediately. Um, okay. Mastodon. We mentioned them. Crack the oh, sky. Man. First of all, I want to set the scene real quick. I want to set the scene. All right? So, first of all, I heard the album for the first time when I was really young. Like, when it first came out. I wasn't really young, but I was young when it first came out. And I loved it. And I, you know, it took me some time to understand it more. It's very progressive. You know, it's got to build on you. It's something you're intended to listen to from beginning to end, which try making a 14-year-old do that. Um, but they played this entire album. At an, ant, at an outdoor amphitheater where I live, right? And it was a nice, like, summer evening, warm, not hot. And they are in this, this amphitheater like you would see a play at, outdoors in the middle of a gorgeous park. And they played this entire album front to back with a psychedelic backdrop behind them, all right? Now, my wife had been partic partaking in some herbs and spices that are medicinal, right? And so... She's not as big of a Mastodon head as I am. I should have mentioned this on the, the last podcast. I'm sorry, but I have to get this out yeah. now. Um, and so she's seated watching them play. Um, and I'm standing and I'm getting into it. I'm like singing along, you know, I'm just pounding the floors. I'm having a great time. And I look over and she's just sitting down with a blank look on her face. And I'm, I'm like, oh no, like, am I having fun and you're not? Honey, I'm sorry. Do you, are you okay? Do you want to leave? Do you hate this? And she just slowly, very slowly, turns her head and looks up at me. And in the smallest voice, she says, I think this is the greatest song I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and then slowly turns to face the band again and does not move once in the entire set. <laughs> That's... So I'm hoping, I say that to say, I hope you had a similar reaction. Oh, this is, this album is very I, I will say I had heard one song on here. I'd heard Divinations before because it was on a Madden soundtrack, which is how I discovered a lot of music growing up. Uh, if it wasn't Madden or SmackDown versus Raw, I, I had I've heard it. <laughs> that was on Madden. What the hell? Was I remember when they had like Rollin' by Limp Biscuit on Madden, Madden which that's also a sick song. Madden Ten. Okay. And then the the 360 version of Madden 06 had Blood and Thunder from Leviathan on it. Uh, Both fantastic. Uh, but th that was how I heard Divinations the first time. And so hearing the whole, hearing it in the context of the whole album, I was like, oh, this is... Like, this was... I think it's a tie between this and the Sabbath album for, like, my favorite ones that I listened to from The Essentials. Because, like, this album, front to back, cover to cover, is incredible. Yeah, um, absolutely. It does a lot of like the melodic things that I like in a lot of my metal. Like uh, when we get into my stuff, I'll you know expand on that. But like I love a, I love something that is made to be one cohesive thing, and I love something that is like very melodic, very big on the harmonies, and this is great at that. Yeah, I. I had mentioned it in the previous podcast but i i have once done shrooms and listened to this album um cannot highly recommend that enough like that that was a great time um but i will say another thing about this album that i neglected to mention in the uh 
uh, previous podcast, which is that I, I honest to God, think the chorus of Oblivion, the opening track on this album, is perfect. And by perfect, I mean, like, the song is perfect. And that chorus hits... It, it feels like that moment of just pure bliss when you hear something, and you're like, that's it. Yeah. They fucking nailed it. This is, And I feel like they hit that a lot on this album. Yeah, this whole album is a lot of, I, you know, I'm doing something, and I have to, like, put my pencil down and just kind of lean back and, like, damn. Yup. Damn. <laughs> Get up, walk around a little bit, sit back down, damn. <laughs> yup. Man, the, that's what I'm hoping for. That's, that's like, the, the big thing that I want to hear from somebody is that I recommend something to them, and they have to put their pencil down because I've been in that exact situation. <laughs> I'm sitting there taking my notes in, in class, and I, I have to set my pencil down and go, man, I can't listen to this right now. I'm, I'm too busy doing shit. I want to pay attention right. to this. What Like, this is, yeah, I, I, a perfect song. I'd say this is, like, a, as close to, like, a perfect album. Like, I, Damn. I don't think that there is a song on it that I'd say is bad. Like, yeah. like I don't think there's any. Like I couldn't name any low points of it. Nothing I'd want to change. Um, and and you know now that I've I've listened through yours your list that you gave me, which I'm we're gonna get into later on, it does make sense to me now that this album would be a standout for you mm-hmm. uh, because of that because it is one a concept album it goes beginning to end, telling a story. Sometimes you can't tell what the story is. They were on all sorts of psychedelics when they wrote it, but whatever. Um, but either way, it is conceptually consistent, um, both in terms of the story and thematically, and also the tone. I mentioned in the first episode a lot about tone, uh, and they keep that same tone and that same um, intention behind what they're doing throughout the whole thing. Um, and that carries me to, to a personal favorite of mine, uh, is Opeth in Blackwater Park. And have you listened to Opeth before? Because I feel like there are a lot of people who, like, that's not really big on their radar. No, I don't think I have before before this. Oh, damn. And, like, listening to it, I was like, how have I not? Um, Because I think I went in expecting one thing, and then as I listened to it, I realized it was a much different thing. I do want to note, like, immediately, Blackwater Park, in terms of the way it is structured, is, like, the complete inverse of Terrifier. Uh, in that Terrifier uh-huh. is what, 21 tracks, 32 minutes, or something like that. Blackwater Park is 8 tracks, 1 hour. <laughs> yep. Welcome to OPEC. <laughs> I sat, I looked, I said, I saw 3 tracks over 10 minutes. I said, what the hell, out loud. Yeah. No, I, I when I was younger, uh, that was a big hurdle for me, because I just didn't have the attention span mm-hmm. for that. Uh, but I am so glad that I grew out of that, man. Yeah. Really. Um, and like I'm glad that I sat down and just like committed to it because it was a journey, to say the least. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. It it was like just again front to back, really really outstanding. But just so many like each song is structured like it could be three or four different songs, uh, where there'll mm-hmm. be like three minutes of just like quiet technical. Uh, like acoustic playing and then all right riffs and that's what this really is this is this, this is riffs the album yeah absolutely absolutely and and i mean you know i want to i want to kind of get this from you like did you catch 
a vibe from this? Like, did did this put you in a in a place emotionally? Because Opeth is one of my like probably three favorite bands. Like, I adore them. Um, got to see them live in the Ryman Auditorium with Mastodon and Zealan Ardor, By the way, I'm always bragging about that because that's probably the most fire lineup I've ever seen, so and tight. I got to be there. That's so tight. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. But you know, with Opeth, they they bring me somewhere. Mm-hmm. Every time they, every time every album, they always take me somewhere, and I don't know if it had that effect on you. Uh, it, I think it was around the Drapery Falls into Dirge for November that it started to like really hit me, where I was just like, uh, just like kind of like taking stock of myself, <laughs> like just like where, Damn. where am I, man? So that kind of introspection, right? Really. It was like, where am I? <laughs> wow, um, I wouldn't expecting all that. It's it's just something about like I said the really technical stuff and when it's like not really technical for the sake of like oh look we're shredding we're you know doing this but it's like quiet and we're taking a second letting it breathe uh, we're doing this technical mm-hmm. stuff um, for the sake of the music not for the sake of ourselves um, and yeah. that was really like kind of the vibe I got. Um, from it and like again I worked in a music store for four years so I heard a lot of riffs for riffs sake and as much as there are a million goddamn riffs on this album none of them feel superfluous none of them feel like wow look at us I listened to Van Halen when I was a kid so let me do a terrible impression (laughs) of Van Halen for five minutes yeah yeah and and I thought that was uh, I think that's a real strength of of Ockerfelds, because I mean the band has kind of had a revolving number of members, and it's really like it's kind of like Panic at the Disco. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, that's the name, but it really it's Brendan Urie. Right. It's like it's Opeth, but it's really Mikhail Ockerfeld. Come on, right. like he's kind of always been there. Um, I think that's a really big thing with his artistry is that nothing feels like they're stretching it out. It feels like that's just how long this takes. Right. Yeah. This is this long because it has to be this long. And I also, before we move on, I have to point out beautiful singing voice it's only gotten better over incredible the years. i the thing um, that threw me too was i looked i saw this was from 2001 <laughs> like mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like it no, does it no and especially because you think of like what bands were like around in 2001 what bands were big in 2001 and then this does not sound anything like any of those you know i'm probably gonna have a nice episode at some point where i can talk about how the 90s and the early 2000s are actually some of the best years for metal it's just we only think about new metal uh, when really, when you dig deeper, it was a wonderful, wonderful time yeah. period. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to point out, he's a beautiful singing voice, and I think he has some of the best death metal vocals I've ever heard. That dude has got power uh, when he actually wants to belt it out. Um, but anyway, we can move on to the last of my essentials, and then we can take a quick little break. Um, Black Sabbath, self-titled, The First, 1970. Hit me. It's hard to listen to this album and not think, wow, all of this exists because of an industrial accident. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to not think, wow, this exists because Iomi fucked his hand up. (laughs) So so we got to the intensity of Pig Destroyer's Terrifier purely because Tony Iomi got a little bit careless on the line. (laughs) His last day at work, he was quitting his job that day. He only went in because his mother told him to finish the week. And then he fucks his fingers up and irrevocably changes 
the history of music. <laughs> yep. Definitely one of those, like, a butterfly wakes yes. and then a, an ocean moves across the world kind of thing. Uh, like, like I said, I've heard all of these riffs a million times. They are all still just as good. Um, They're so good. Like, I was listening to it, I think, last Friday, I think a week ago, and I... I thought to myself, what what would it have felt like to have been a teenager, to be 15 years old in 1970, and hear this for the first time? You go over to your friend's house, you smoke a little reefer, he puts this on. <laughs> well, where? How do you feel? The bells. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, the, you feel you hear the bells, and that would have scared the shit out of me. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Smoking dirt weed in my my friend's yeah, basement you're smoking in 1970. Absolute ditch weed. You're smoking, to call it Reggie right. would be an insult to Reggie. <laughs> you could not just packing my bowl with stems. You could not even pretend that this is mid. It is terrible, terrible weed. And then the wizard comes on. <laughs> God, dude! Every time I hear the words of the wizard, I just hear that sick ass. That riff, riff is so hot. Just, that riff is so it's hot. So good. It's so good. But you know, the thing about this album that I really got into in, in episode one that I really wanted to get into here um, is the same same as all of these, right? I, I realized without even thinking about it that all of these albums really work best as one piece. You know, they, they really work best when you go front to back because they all take you to a certain place. Um, and I think that you saying that about how Black Sabbath would have scared you. Right. Right? Oh, it would freak me out. Like, <laughs> that is such a, a ringing endorsement, I think, of an album, right? That it, it can make you go there. Right. Um, and then, you know, I they did themselves no favors in terms of, like, the beginning of satanic panic when you get to the end of nativity in black right you know what conflicting signals man (laughs) like like the title track is you saying you're terrified of the devil and that you want to avoid the devil and then in nativity in black you you you're saying i'm literally the devil that's me (laughs) and we want to get married i have been tricking you into marrying me this whole time also i'm the devil I mean, look, Ozzy, say what you want about Ozzy, but he has an incredible amount of charisma. Oh, my God. And I think it really worked here. Yeah. um, Like, Ozzy didn't become, like, an enduring, you know, one of the most enduring vocalists of all time without being, like, this perfect magnet uh, for for everything for great guitar players great musicians people wanting to be around him because he's that guy yeah think yeah no it it worked it worked the whole thing works um i think to this day that album holds up uh just as well as it did in 1970 uh back when everybody fucking hated it (laughs) um It's so crazy, like Rolling Stone magazine, for example, like they 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 slagged off these Black Sabbath albums. They're terrible. They're trash. And then you go look at now, the way they're they're sucking them off, man. I, I was talking to somebody the other day about that, and I said, you know, just watch. In about twenty, thirty years, they're gonna say Whitechapel's "This Is Exile" is one of the greatest 
uh, metal, but it was albums of all time. Well, it's it's a fascinating. This is something I think about a lot. Um, something that uh, like there have been studies on. Music is always hated more, disliked more when it first comes out, uh, because especially when something like represents a change in the genre, change in the paradigm of things, um, and then is liked more over time because the people who hear it when they're kids, people who hear it when between like the ages of like nine and fifteen, grow up to kind of venerate this stuff. Like early Beatles records, fucking piled on it like critically critically panned a lot of early Beatles stuff but then you get to say the early 70s and people who were kids when those first Beatles albums come out are now in their 20s uh, into the 30s um, and then they raise their kids into the 80s and 90s who then raise their kids to, and now we end up in this place where everybody knows the Beatles so many people fucking love the Beatles despite the fact that 60 years ago people could not stand them uh, in the, you know, critically. And I think that there's there's also kind of a legacy effect where, like, maybe you weren't alive at all. Like me. I mean, you know, like, mm-hmm. shit, this, this album came out when my dad was 10. Right. You know? And so I, of course, was multiple generations removed from this album, but you know, being introduced through his music to it was one way I got into it and the other way that I came to appreciate it was getting into music when I was 13, 14, 15 you know, back then the hot thing was going into Hot Topic and finding your screamo deathcore band whatever um, but even then I was able to be like damn, like Whitechapel would not exist like Black Dahlia Murder would not exist without going all the way back to this so you kind of have to appreciate it but uh, anyway, I think that's that's all the time I want to take up on my stuff. I want to spend, I want to get a good amount of time available for your stuff. Uh, so real quick, before we continue, Marcus, where can people find you on Twitter or where, what platforms are your podcasts? Tell us about. Uh, your so you can follow me on Twitter and Twitch at Archer Arios. It's A R X H E R A R I O S. The X is a C. It's a long story. Uh, and then uh, MCMF, my show, is on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Basically, wherever you can find podcasts, you just search MCMF or MCMF Pod, um, which is also the Twitter handle. Um, and yeah, it's just me and uh, me and my pals uh, talking about comic books. I actually just put an episode up yesterday with our pal Will uh, talking about Daredevil. So. Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, of course, if you're listening to this, you can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I believe you can find me on Amazon, although I have not checked, but you should be able to. Uh, So, yeah, two of the evil ones. Spotify, also kind of evil, but, hey, they got me on there. It's fine. Um, And you can find me at Lake Dragging on Twitter if you want to talk. Um, Just wanted to get a quick plug in before we continue because... I'm gearing myself up, man. I'm super pumped because when I looked at your list of albums, I saw one that I was already planning to talk about on a future episode. I already had it pegged as an essential listen, even though it's only, what, four years old? Yeah. Um, we're talking about Zealand Ardor, Stranger Fruit. Now, first of all, 
what made you want to put this on here? So, Stranger Fruit, Zealandarder Broadly, kind of their, for those who don't know, uh, their mission statement as a, as a band uh, is essentially making black metal Negro spirituals. Uh, as a black person who grew up uh, in a very church background, um, listening to a lot of gospel, a lot of, you know, that was, that was every Sunday, every Saturday in my home was, was that. Stranger Fruits, Zealand broadly, they take a lot of, like, those elements, those kind of gospel melodies, uh, and that sound, that chorus sound, and just, just make it as heavy as they can. And so the combination of those two things is so perfect to my ears uh, that, that when I was putting my list together, I felt like I had to put it in there. Yeah, so this is this is one that I've absolutely worn out, man. I've, I've listened to this album so many times since it came out. Um, I actually think it was you and Manny who, who put me on. Manny, of course, will probably be on an episode of this show. Manny been on your show plenty of times. Um, but he, uh, I think he put me onto this and Man, I was absolutely blown away because the concept sounds like a joke. It sounds like a right. novelty, right? Um, and of course, the history. And you know, and I'll probably talk more about this on a later episode. Who cares? Um, but the history of it is that it was kind of a novelty, right? That initially he was given this idea because he used to go to on four chan and say, like, give me two genres of music, then uh, I'm going to try to make a song that smashes them together. With the reasoning being. Uh, these are the most evil, mean people on the planet. So if they hate it, they'll tell me it sucks. Right. Uh, <laughs> and great so, idea, frankly. I mean, it's, there's a logic there. Um, but I think the the person knew that his mother's African American, his father is Swiss, um, and so they tried to say, "I want you to make black metal because you know, a lot of Nazis in black metal, and mix it with uh, black people music." They did not say black people. They said something much worse, um, just to needle him, right? And he said, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to do that, and it's going to be good. Uh, lo and behold, really fucking good. Right. <laughs> uh, cannot be stated enough. Um, I rem- like, this is one of those, I think every album here that I, that I sent, I can tell you exactly where I was the first time I heard anything from it. Um, I was on the bus on the way home from work, and uh, me and Manny's friend Lil uh, sends uh, sends us messages like, "Y'all want to hear some wild shit?" <laughs> and we're like, "Yeah, absolutely." And I <laughs> I look around on the bus because it's just like the loudest, hardest shit I've ever heard, and I'm just like, <laughs> like almost in a panic, like, "What the fuck is this?" There's an immediacy to it. There really is. Right. That, that, you know, I always try to take, like, the... I try to take what the emotional gist of an album is. Because, I, you know, for me, it's all about what is this making me feel? If I don't feel anything listen to this, then it's not any good to me. It means nothing to me. Um, and this album makes me feel a little scared um, and really pissed off. Just like there's such an 
urgency. Like, like everything feels so urgent and so important that you are driven to action. Like the song Row Row. Oh my God. That's like, my favorite one on the, on this album. Oh, it's so, uh, it's so, but you know, when he's shouting row, you fools, yes. like, I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, I'm rolling, I'm rolling, you, you have convinced me. <laughs> I put that song on at the gym when I'm on the rowing machine, and I was like, you goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is but, so urgent, it sounds like he's yelling it, again, these are, it's based off Negro Spirituals, he's yelling it to you while you are trying to row away to safety. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that's that's another thing about this album for me is that it's so evocative, like from a storytelling perspective. Mm-hmm. Because from what I understand, it's not a concept album in the sense that he wrote out a story and then he's telling the story through the songs the same way as some of the other albums that you have on here. Um, but I think of it as a concept album because honestly, when I hear this, I start creating the story in my own head. Right. You know. Because um, I think he even said in an interview, um, the the primary songwriter, I think he even said in an interview that, you know, when he started thinking about this this stuff for real, this this project for real, he thought to himself, what if my ancestors had embraced a sort of paganistic Satanism as a reaction to the imposition of Christianity upon them? Right. The right? same way that black and, metal is born out of that in, you know yeah that that black metal it, it, that's the thing that's the crazy thing is that some dickhead on 4chan who's trying to be racist um actually came up with a profound mixture yes <laughs> um because black metal comes from a bunch of bored disaffected white kids in northern europe who feel like they've lost touch with their roots now they think that because i don't know they're don't like that Jews and black people live near them now. I don't know. Whatever nonsense. Um, but they do, in a very, very, very distant, maybe kind of sense, are getting at something, which is that they've lost a piece of their cultural identity because of Christianity being something that was just sort of embraced and wiped out a lot of their own traditions. Right. Um, and so uh, the parallel should be obvious, right? First time I heard it, I was like, "Oh, this makes perfect sense." Yeah, um, and like the the second track, "Gravedigger's Chant," is haunting. Yes, haunting, and it is very kind of in a way without being anywhere near like as heavy as anything else on the album. It is the most evocative of the two origins that come together to make this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and. And I think a similar situation is You Ain't Coming Back, yeah. which is one of my favorite tracks on the album because it it also is one of the least heavy. For, I don't think that he does any screamed vocals on that song, but it feels so heavy to me because it is so evocative. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm feeling the story in my own mind. Um, I, I actually listened to this and I, I thought to myself, man... They got to make like a, a musical out of this or something mm-hmm. because, like, you could easily. Yes, he could do like it's a weird pull. He could do the Beyonce thing and do the you know the visuals for everything uh, that would go along with it. Perfect. Um, well, I'm sorry, I ended up talking far more about that album than you because that's not the point. You should be talking more. I mean, um, 
I feel like we covered a lot there. there. There's a lot of, I think, overlap in how we both feel about it. Yeah, that's fair. And, I, you know, going into that is, is, is just an album that I absolutely adore. I can't wait to talk about it again down the line. Um, but, you know, let's move to something that you got to introduce me to um, that going to be entirely upfront and honest with you. When I saw it hit the list, a little tiny part of me went, oh, no. <laughs> and it is Coheed and Cambria's Good Apollo, right? Yes. It's a very, very long album title, but I'm calling it Good Apollo. <laughs> Oh, um, uh, me and Will used to troll each other by typing the entire name of that album out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a heck of a name. Um, but, it, you know, when I saw it, I kind of thought, oh, no, it's the modern Rush. It's the, it's the band that wants to be Rush, and I don't like Rush. But I'm glad you put it on there, because I came away from it understanding it as something entirely different. Yeah, yeah, I think... Kahi gets a certain reputation, and I don't know that it's an unfair one. Um, they wear, they very much wear their influences on their sleeves, but I think the Rush one kind of stands out over the other ones. Um, like, one of their other big influences is Iron Maiden, um, which I think also pretty much stands out. But I picked this album in large part um, because... It's, again, one I can remember exactly where I was the first time I heard it. Um, it's the first time I heard this album. Um, there's a whole story for that, but I'll get to it in a second. But this album is, it encapsulates a lot of my favorite things about music. One, the ability to tell a story uh, through the music. Um, and being able to re- like range through a variety of different styles to get there. Um, and to combine the fiction with the truth and combine use how you feel express that by telling a story through the music that thus you're not just like hitting everybody over the head with the per- with how personal it is um, it makes it real enough that anyone can kind of plug into it but also can tell at the same time that this meant something to you as the writer that that really and stuck I, with me. I did my homework a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Because I understand that pretty much all of their albums have an arc. Like that this is one their their discography is one big long story. Up, right? up until twenty sixteen. Okay. So I understood that going into it. Um, and what I understand is that this album is told from the perspective of the person who is writing that story. Yes. Okay, so this is the narrator's album. Right. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because me stepping into it, this is the fourth album, volume four, whatever. It's the third one, and which like, is the weirdest part. <laughs> oh, come on. It's, it's got, it's the, got, it's the, got the Roman It's got a big four, four on, on it. <laughs> yeah, I love that you're pointing at it. On your, you've got it on your wall. <laughs> right next to Stevie Wonder and Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> What a what a man <laughs> with many faces. Um, yeah, it's it confused me. Um, it's it's again a long story. I don't fully understand why they did that. Um, well, either way, uh, stepping into it for me was interesting because I felt like I was walking into a conversation halfway through it, and I didn't really know what 
was being said, but I understood very quickly the point of it, the, what the conversation, you know what I yes. mean? Like, I didn't have to understand every single minute of what this person was saying. I didn't understand every word, but what I did understand was what they were feeling. Right. And I was getting that very loud and clear. It was almost like being like, you know how you walk by somebody who's on the phone and you can't hear the other person on the other line, but you kind of know what the conversation is. Yes. I kind of got that feeling. Yeah. And for me, the first time I, I have an interesting relationship with this album in that I heard the song Welcome Home in the trailer for the movie Nine. I don't know if anybody... I heard it from Rock Band. Okay, so uh, I heard it in the movie in the trailer for the movie 9, and that riff just stuck in my head, because that riff is so... Like, it was just like, what the fuck is this? And for some reason, my 14-year-old brain, 14, 15, however old I was, did not just go and look up on Google what that song was. I just let it kick around in my brain. For about a year and a half. And then one day, I'm at my friend's house. Me, me and my other friend are with our other friends. And we're all just sitting around. Three of us are talking. My friend Zach is playing uh, is playing rock band. And, you know, not really paying it any mind. And then I hear that riff, and I go, Hey, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Because I've been hearing that song forever, and I don't know what it is. So he's like, oh, it's Welcome Home, Cody and Cambria. I go home that day, and I just look that song up. I look this album up, and I just sit with it and kind of stew. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, 16 years old, I'm like a raw nerve. Uh, and for the place I was at in my life, 16 years old, uh, feeling like the breakup I had went through was the worst thing that would ever happen to me. Yeah, been there. It was like it was like a revelation to me at that age and then now older, you know, this was 11 years ago. I look at it and it's like there is so much about this album musically that I love. Um, because while it's like a raw open nerve, it is still so many cool moving parts on it. Um, uh-huh. Like uh, the the track um, uh, uh, 10 Speed. I love that bass line. Like Mike Todd, he's not, he hasn't been in the band 10 years because uh, the trouble. Uh, but he does so many cool things with, with uh, his bass lines uh, with that rhythm section. And uh, the last four tracks, which are... They, they did this a lot on the first few albums they did where they would have a suite of three or four songs that would be, like, one very deliberate part to the whole. And so on this one, it's called The Willing Well. Those four songs, um, like, could be, uh, like, a, like, a project to themselves, uh, but are still internally consistent with the album itself uh and i've always thought that that was just super cool yeah yeah i, I mean I, I love hearing this because you have such a personal relationship to this album and a lot of it what i get just from a first listen is more of an aesthetic appreciation for it um and that first of all 
this is totally unrelated, but it, when you said the breakup was the worst thing to happen to you, so like there are a lot of songs on this that sound like breakup songs, mm-hmm. um, and the one that stuck out was "Once Upon Your Dead Body." First of all, grade A hater. <laughs> just like I looked up the lyrics, just like player haters ball champion five years running. That song is so mean, it's, it's bro. Brutal. It's so, so imagine mean. being me, 16 years old, madder than hell, hearing that song for the first yeah. time. <laughs> he... And so <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to get into something here as, 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 as I want to tie all of these albums together. Mm-hmm. All right. Like because, again, the, a big part of this is, is learning something about you and, and your taste and maybe more about you as a person is that both of these albums, you can sing along to them. Mm-hmm. These are such, like, it's crazy saying that about Zeal and Ardor, the black metal, the screeching vocals, blah, blah, blah. But as you mentioned, there's not just, like, you don't even have to look for it. It's just right in front of your face that these are Negro spirituals, right? right? And so those are intended as call and response. You are supposed to sing along to this. And then with Coheed and Cambria, they've got such an ear for melody um, that... Again, I am catching myself humming along to it at my desk, and I've never heard the song in my right. life. Right, it's it's very earwormy. Um, uh-huh. Like ev- like most of that album is very just like you pick up the melody and you just go. Um, yeah. And and there's a romantic streak, and by romantic, I want to be clear that romantic not just in like the love and sex sense, although that is part mm-hmm. of it. Uh, but in the sense of like the heightened emotions, the sort of emphasis on the individual experiencing something emotionally profound, right? And I think that I picked up on that really with all of the albums that you picked, is that these are albums about very heightened emotion. Yeah. Um, and like not just making you feel an emotion, which all good music should, but like they are about heightened emotions of some form. Uh, and I just thought that was really, really compelling as I was listening to this. Um, moving on to another one that is sing-songy in its own extremely strange uh, way. Uh, another one that I love dearly, uh, the one that I had also listened to that I was excited was on here because it gave me an excuse to listen to it all over again, was Mesmerized by System of a Down. Um, if you don't mind me leading off here. Have at it. I... Also, so you mentioned you remember exactly where you were when you first heard it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was, it was the exact time I heard it, but when I, every time I hear this album, and it's probably Ravenga, uh, the one that does it for me, but every single time I hear it, I am in the back seat of my dad's truck, and we're on vacation in Florida, and it's like hot and sticky, but it's also December, so it's not that bad. And the windows are down, and I'm smelling salt, you know? And my parents really want to talk to me about something, but I'm too busy listening to Serge Tanky and just fucking scream in my ear. Uh, <laughs> and I am that I am that kid every single time I hear this album. This album has one of the best four song runs honestly like a six song uh six or seven song run when i really think about it of just like just heaters just oh yeah <laughs> um 
Could you go BYOB into Ravenga, Cigarro, radio video, this cocaine makes me feel like I'm on this song, and violent pornography. Nothing. Heat. Just heat. All heat. Nothing was better to me. There, You could not convince me. Anything sounded better when I was 13 years old. Uh, out at PE sixth period with all my friends. Nothing was... This is a very sixth period PE album. Nothing sounded cooler than fucking violent pornography. <laughs> like all of us oh, yelling the all the words. Just like, just having a ball. I remember being... Uh, in the ninth grade, hanging out at my friend's house, playing Gears of War two, listening to this album. Uh, Another really clearly Gears of War <laughs> album. <laughs> just, just playing a horde mode, popping dudes to to BYOB. Uh, so something else that I wanted to note on this, um, and I want to see. Again, I, I don't like talking too much in this portion, but I, I want to draw something out of you here. Urgency. Yeah. Urgency. It keeps coming up. Is this something that you're really looking for in music? Because I hear something like BYOB or Revenga or Cigaro. Those are urgent songs. Like, they can't wait. They're almost tripping over themselves to get those notes out. I think especially, like, towards the beginning of the album, I always like it when it just kind of explodes right away. Um, and you, it just sets the pace really quick, and then you kind of slow it down, and then bring it back up to end it. I love that. I love that kind of structure, um, that roller coaster mm. kind of idea. Um, and so, you know, you get your your quieter intro on Soldier Side right into BYOB, and it it explodes. And I, I've always thought that was really cool. Um, I think that this album, particularly BYOB and Cigarro, played a big hand in kind of radicalizing me. <laughs> I was going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I think it's not uncommon for, especially people our age, who would have heard this as kids and went like, yeah, why do, why do they always send the poor? I th- hmm. I should ask some questions. Yeah, I, I you know I I think I mentioned it on Twitter because uh you know when I was going through that long list of albums that I was listening to and I, I listened to Rage Against the Machine, and I tweeted out it's true that between Rage Against the Machine and System of a Down, I would have been a communist by the time I was twelve. Oh, most definitely. Had my parents not intervened. <laughs> yeah, like I think this way I listened to this Rage Against the Machine and had seen Chris Rock's movie Head of State what had to be 40 times by the time I started puberty. <laughs> uh, like, I, yeah. that's a new chance. You were chance. on a path. <laughs> which, if you've never seen yeah. the movie Head of State, uh, there is a scene in which Chris Rock just yells for like two minutes about how it's like, hey, why is it that all of us have to work a million hours to put food on the table? That shit's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and as a 10 year old I went yeah that is fucked up so you know I guess to segue us into some of these other ones I want to point out again like mentioning um, when we talked about Opeth Blackwater Park we were saying that like there was this era in the 90s and the early 2000s where people only think about you know new metal which first of all 
can I just say this? Like, System of a Down is not new. No. They get lumped in. They are at, there's nothing even similar. They, it's just that it's the time period and nothing. You want to tell me that Darren Malakian and Wes Borland have anything in common musically? Anything in common. <laughs> no, no way. Nothing like it. And so let's just get that out of the way. But I think this is another album that is kind of like a, a primordial ooze album for me. Where it's like, this came out of such a unique time and space in musical development because this sounds like nothing else I've ever heard in my life. And I think that you got a lot in that era. And I'm a project that I want to figure out by the time I'm done making this podcast, whenever that will be, uh, whether it's in two weeks from now or <laughs> if it's two years from now, I'm going to figure it out that there was something about that 10 year stretch or so where people just got really fucking weird. Uh, and you started to see shit like this, or like Acid Bath, another one of my favorite bands. Like, just people making stuff that I'd never heard of in my life. And I think that, you know, that kind of brings us to something that I've never heard in my life. And I'm glad that you put me onto it, which is Thank You Scientist. Tell me about it. Talk to me about it. So Thank it. You Scientist are... I don't think it would surprise you to for uh, for me to say that they are a band that I believe were like they, their first EP came out and Coheed and Cambria signed them. They were like Claudio Sanchez heard it and was like this these guys are my guys. Um, which it like you hear them and it's like yeah of course he would like these guys. Uh, this album is funky as hell. Oh yeah, I saw a direct <laughs> direct, direct through line. This album is funky as hell. Um, there, there's no other way to describe it. Um, Maps of non-existent places, uh, which is an incredible name for an album. Um, and this again does that thing as a where you have that prelude song, uh, which is just like a minute of just vocalization, right into uh, a salesman's guide to non-existence, and. Growing up, playing uh, playing in marching band, playing in orchestra, I developed you know a love for that sound. And so you combine a sound I already like, like the prog metal stuff, and you combine it with you know a horn section, and it's like, oh, this is I, this was made in a lab for me. Um, they do a lot of like like you said the heightened emotions the speaking from a place of like these romantic places um, but also I would say one thing I really love is the way they use the horn um, the trumpet, the saxophone, the violin the way they use those instruments kind of in conjunction with the guitars um, to kind of act as a bolster to that lead voice I think is I, I think it rules um, like it especially shines on absentee which again I can remember where I was when I heard that song because I heard th like this album just came up um, as like a like a recommended for you thing and I was like alright sure and so I put it on while I was like cleaning up or something like I was like washing dishes taking out the trash I heard absentee and I got to the I think it's the three minute mark uh, there's a saxophone solo mm -hmm. <laughs> And I, I had to, I stopped 
I just stopped cold. I was like, what the fuck am I listening to? Because uh, it's an amazing solo. Like, it sounds great. And they, again, they use the sax uh, the way that another band would use another guitar. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, where some bands will have three, two, three guitar players. They instead have a sax. Which is what brought me to send you Where Owls Know My Name by uh, Rivers of Nile, because it's a death metal song with a, a sax solo. And I think it functions similarly, mm-hmm. um, where the, the solo the solo structure and what it's trying to convey to the audience is basically the same, but it's bringing it to you in a way that kind of throws you off and kind of mellows the mood in a way. Right. It's, it's, it's an interesting way to sort of like tweak your expectations just a little bit and bring you to a slightly different headspace than what you might expect just from the guitar. Right. And I thought that was really well done. I mean, like you said, this this album is funky as shit. Yeah, like Suspicious and... Waveforms, too, is like... Yeah. It's just a six and a half minute long jazz fusion track. <laughs> just... Right. And, that and you know, that actually made me want to question a little bit. Why do you consider this a heavy album? Uh, I think it does a lot of the same... It has a lot of the same tenets as a lot of... of heavy stuff like especially in the back half of the album it uh it does a lot of those very shreddy technical things um that i think are kind of emblematic of a lot of music in the genre um like my fame disappearing act the la- the last um the last track on this album it does a lot of those things um and while this is all like vocally it's all clean um i think that like the last three or four tracks on this are very like they get to those places where they're doing a lot of those things uh, and it's still in the same kind of I say lyrically in the same kind of vein as a lot of the other stuff yeah yeah because I, I saw what you meant like I listened to it and it, it, like sonically it's not very heavy but it just felt right yes that that this would be mentioned like there's there are enough components of this like the un- the structure of this is is heavy. It's not the sounds themselves. It's structurally heavy, right. You know, and, and it's sort of heavy in the way that like uh, in Utero by Nirvana is heavy. Like that's not a metal album, but goddamn, is it heavy? Right. And you know what like, I mean. Uh, to me, I think it goes back to like the way they use the the orchestra section. They use it the way that another band would use like your distortion and your effects, your chord, your your different things of that. I just had a light bulb moment. So one thing that I hate is symphonic metal because mm-hmm. it's just it's just sucks ass. Like it's just not bit fucking garbage. Not big on Nightwish. I hate it, <laughs> buddy. I had to listen to a Nightwish album recently, <laughs> and like I was so mad. But I was listening to it, and like I remember, <laughs> I remember I had I was telling my wife how much it sucks because it sucked. And so I take the headphones off and put it on my phone speaker, and she immediately went, no, 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 uh-uh, no, and just took my phone away from me and hit pause and gave it back to me. It was like, no, absolutely not. I was like, exactly. No but way. But my point is, the problem with symphonic metal is that they're trying to smash two things together that don't necessarily go together. Um, the only time I've heard it successfully done is something like Septic Flesh, but the reason why Septic Flesh pulls it off is the same reason why Thank You Scientist pulls it off, which is that they're not trying to use a symphonic sound 
separately from the rest of it they're integrating it into one thing right. they're using the symphonic elements not necessarily on their own they're using them in the same way that you would make a metal song right even without it's the way that it's in the way that a marching band will take an existing song and then and then transcribe it for that right like i think everybody's seen the video by now of that marching band forever ago deciding we're gonna play uh, killing in the name as a pep tune and it works because you're just breaking the music down and spreading these parts that used to be in these four things now across all these different instruments uh, yeah, it doesn't try to make it a different thing. It doesn't try to slow it down and be like, "Oh, this is blah 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 blah." It's no, this is fucking killing in the name. You're just hearing it through a trumpet. Yeah, no, I think that I think you got that. I think that nails it. Um, and now we can come to the last one, the album that should have been all over my MySpace playlist um, when I was in sixth grade. Uh, an album that shockingly I had never listened I, when to. When you said that, I did, was blown away. I was amazed you'd never heard this. Because, like, to set the scene for those who cannot see right now, and for maybe you don't know me, I have, I am, I am a white man. Uh, I am twenty-eight years old, and I wear the circular frame glasses. I shave the sides of my head. Uh, I have a nose ring. I'm currently wearing a CU Space Cowboy camo shirt. <laughs> Are you, if you're getting the image of what kind of a guy I am and what kind of a guy I was when I was 14, you would be stunned to know that I did not know this album. <laughs> so, Marcus, tell me how you know this album and why it is so important to you that you had to show it to me. So, this album is Kezia by Protest the Hero. I... This album is one that I know because of our friend Sarah. Uh, and Sarah showed me... We keep referencing people who are not on the not podcast. Talking. We're going to have an extended universe. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, most definitely. Um, <laughs> well, we're all people who have followed each other on social media for like 12 right. years. <laughs> Sarah, this is, Protest is one of her favorite bands. And so when... When we were started hanging out when I was like 19, she you gotta listen to this album. So I remember one day, I, again, I was like cleaning up, cleaning up my room, and I just put it on, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty good, this is pretty good. And I, you know, I got done, I laid down on my bed, as Turn Soon Is To The Sea was starting. And the back half of this song, this song is six minutes, 21 seconds long. The back half of this song took me out of my body. Yeah. Oh, it dude, it rips. It rips so much. I was listening to this, and I'd have pause it every once in a while. Like, God damn, what is this, this fucking rules? Like, and I'd go to the next song. Like, damn, this fucking rules. Like, heaters all the way through. And I had similar experiences of having to to, to sit back with my hands on my forehead. Like, yo, you know that picture of Bobby Hill <laughs> where he's laying face down on the floor and he's like floating outside of his body? That was me. Yes. <laughs> yes slowly ascending um it is it's so this is another again concept album um i like these um uh i i just uh, they're they're my shit and 
this one, like, when it gets to... Because the, the way it's broken up, um, the way that Coheed and Cambria album was separated into... Uh, you know, into... Or it is the story of the narrator. This is sto- a story from the perspective of, I believe, three or four different people. Um, and so... I thought every song was a different person's perspective. I th- Could be wrong. I know there are, multi- there are songs that are... Like, multiple songs that are from one person. Uh, but it's, you know, it's multiple people's perspectives. And Turn Soonest to the Sea, as a song, um, like, is really what, like... Like, when it clicked in my head what this was really about. Um, and so I just want to read, uh, like, the thing that leads into the part that, like, took me out the first time. Which was... Uh, so when you bled on the bed as you fed those expectations, as a whore and not a human, you embraced with hesitation. The very parameters of all you can be, not a mother, not an aunt, not a sister who's not subdued, because dignity is physical and your flesh means more than you. And I, th- like, that stopped me in my tracks. I was like, that's... <laughs> yeah, that one, that one reached through my headphones at me too, honestly. Like, it, again, like, I don't need to know the lyrics. I don't need to hear exactly what you're saying. I mentioned that with Pig Destroyer. I don't know. I didn't know what the fuck they were saying until I looked it up, but I felt it. But this time, not only did I feel it, they straight up told me. <laughs> right. And it really, it, it like really puts the alarm over your head, man. It was something else. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And just this was, and then right after that, it, you know, there's more there but then the bass starts moving in this way it hadn't the rest of the album um where it's just like this it's not just walking this bass line is running like it is mm-hmm. pulsing it is it is here and it is just as prominent and as important as everything else in it in the song um and it's it's really just like this album is incredible and i guess more than anything it reminds me of a much different time in my life where I I couldn't imagine that things would turn out the way that they did in my life and it's nostalgic for me in that sense because um, mm-hmm. it was this period in my life of uncertainty uh, where I was 19 turning 20 and I was just like freaked out by that of like what the fuck are my 20s going to be and now looking back it's like man I was not like I did not yeah yeah no man i I, i'm glad that i i'm glad you just took it on that man you just took me on a journey um and you know a lot of what i felt from this was what i got from this was not just the immediacy of of those lyrics which are just really powerful honestly when you combine it with the sound but I, i really got to thinking about this album intellectually because it's just really fucking well done. Yeah. Like, this is just really well done mid-aughts metalcore. If you're not into that kind of thing, I understand there are people who just hate that sound. I get it. But I happen to like that sound a lot. Um, and this is, like, really peak of that kind of thing. Much more technical than a lot of the metalcore of that era, I will say. Um, really impressive instrumentation. Everything's uh, very deliberate. But Very deliberate. I think that's a good way to put it. They're not fucking around on their instruments. Right. It it is with intention um 
but I, I did make a note that a lot of people who came after this really wanted to be this album. Um, a lot of the stuff that you heard in like 08, 09, you know, sounded a lot like this, just half as good. Right. Um, and I also, another thing that I really want to study a little bit more on, something that I really want to come to a better understanding of is, is when you started to see that mixing of Midwest emo and the sort of, what was at the time more of an East Coast phenomenon with metalcore, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, in the 90s, you saw those those two things grow up distinct, right? You, you heard the emo scene with the jangly chords and the classic emo sounding vocals, which you get in this Protest the Hero album to an extent. But then you also had, at the same time, metalcore developing from like Cave-In, Botched, Converge, of course, being the big one, uh, a little bit later, like Every Time I Die. Um, and this was really where you saw that synthesis. I mean, this was what, 2005? 2005, yeah. Yeah, so this this was around the time when you saw those two things fully, like, merge. And you saw this sort of crossover that became absolutely fucking massive. Gigantic. Like, this, this sound dominated my teen years, for better or for worse. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that a lot of people just didn't do it this way right like there are so many bands of like the mid 2000s into the 2010s who are like there's a video that i saw the other day where it was like hey you guys ever noticed that like there was a period where every metalcore band used this one riff um Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah because everyone kind of there was this collective not I, i guess osmosis um of just like everybody trying to do the same thing, but not realizing they were all drawing the same influence. It's um, it's like the advent of hair metal, where yeah, post Van Halen there were like Van Halen one comes out and everybody's like shit, I gotta do that, mm-hmm. and that's where you get and it's done half as well. <laughs> then you get a a slew of bands for the next ten years. And something that really interests me, and and something that I'm going to come back to a lot on this show, I think, is that how you have these influences, and I'm glad we talked about Black Sabbath, and I'm glad we talked about Protest the Hero, and I'm glad really we're talking about System of a Down, because I think you get sort of the opposite here. The thing about Sabbath and Protest the Hero is that they have a lot of children. Yes. Um, but they have children that really diverged, you know? Like, Black Sabbath directly gave birth to Candlemas, right? They heard the first Sabbath album, were like, hmm, these slow, long, dirge-like songs that take you to this feeling of dread. Okay, that's what we're going to do, right? And then you had other bands come along, and they heard those driving riffs, the drums. They heard this sort of, like, soaring vocals. Like, Ozzy obviously wasn't, like, the most gifted technical vocalist, but still... And then you have your Judas Priest, and you have your Iron Maidens, right? right? So, like, really diverged. What they did was they found something in that original sound, which was very um, messy, you know? Uh, There's a lot going on on Sabbath's album. There's a lot going on in Protest the Heroes' album. Uh, And you saw bands after that pick which part of that they thought was most important, and then built basically a whole new subgenre out of just that one component of the original. Right. Does that make sense, or am I just no? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. And and the reason why I say System of a Down and the Inverse is because 
I don't think anybody has learned anything from System of a Down, and I don't think System of a Down sounds like anything that came before them, so who the fuck knows? <laughs> System of a Down them. are an anomaly. They can't help but yep. sound like themselves, because even when they split up for a while and Serge was doing his own thing and the other guys were in Scars on Broadway, it was like, damn, this just sounds like two different System of Down albums. Yeah, and, and it's so funny because they all hate each other. <laughs> Um, I think Serge really. and the drummer are like in-laws and he can't stand it. They are because the drummer is a MAGA guy yes. and Serge is Serge. Yeah. Serge wrote BYOB. Yes. You know, Serge wrote the prison song, Deer Dance. Like, And it's just funny to, for me to think about, you know, for all those years, the drummer just had to sit there and grin and bear it while he's like, ah, oh, these commies, you know. Um, but I'm married to but, his sister. No, they're married yeah. to sisters. Oh, God, it's not even that one of them is married to the other's sister it's that their wives are sisters oh that's even weirder um jesus christ well anyway um yeah that's something that i want to get more into later on man it is is a bit of that uh sort of charting you can really chart where things diverge by finding that that sort of linchpin that one node that split off into a bunch of different things and normally it's something weird and messy and has its own influences that it that are clear there like black sabbath clearly was influenced by jazz clearly influenced by blues they straight up say that they didn't even really consider themselves a, a rock band when they started they were really just trying to be a jazzy blues band mm -hmm. which um, is why a lot of their stuff lends itself really well to blues like i don't know if you've ever seen it mm -hmm. but um charles bradley did this incredible cover of changes it's his song. It's his song. Though. I like the yeah. original a lot, but it's Charles Bradley's song. Yeah. Period. Um, but yeah, I, I love I love tracking that, and I, I think that your selections did a really good job of of showing me one about your tastes, two a bit about yourself, uh, and three. A lot of them were actually really fascinating in terms of their context. Uh, you know, the the history of metal and how it developed. I think they were all really interesting examples of how it develops in these really really um diverse ways you know like the fact that uh stranger fruit can exist right uh at all is amazing and it's something you wouldn't have even imagined uh 20 years ago god right you know that um, is an album that would have been so, banned in my home <laughs> yes <laughs> my mom likes them actually really um she she has heard some tracks that she likes. From I feel them. like I could get away with with some of them. I feel like I could have like, like for for context. Again, I grew up in a very religious household. My grandfather was was a reverend. My father is a minister. Uh, but note, my father was not a minister when I was a child. He became a minister when I was a teenager. So it's just very funny. He would have heard if my dad heard uh, if he heard row row. Or if he heard Don't You Dare, he would have been like, cut that shit off. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. I think that you, you really got me a lot, thinking about a lot of different stuff. So speaking of making me think about some stuff, do you have anything that you would like to see me cover in the future? Maybe it's something that you don't know much about. But maybe you listen to some of the essentials and you were like, damn, I'd like to hear more about that band or that genre. 
Or is there something that you took from your albums that you gave me that you want me to learn more about? Because I'm always looking for topics. I'm always looking for inspiration. This whole thing is about me learning. It's about you learning. I just kind of want to... I don't want to say that I'm going to chart new territory because I'm not. But I just like the idea of everybody learning from each other. Uh, You know, I've always had like a fascination with kind of what happened at the turn of the 80s. How music changed. Um, And I think it's all kind of tied to like the beginning of Thrash. Um, And I think a big part of it is like why it's so present in my mind, especially lately, is that uh, my girlfriend loves Thrash. That's her like genre of choice. Uh, So it's always like fascinating to me how that kind of came about and how like the how kicking Dave Mustaine out of Metallica <laughs> led to everything that happened after that and led to in a way where like the direction that metal started to go in at the beginning of the 2000s yeah that's a I think that's a good idea and that's that's something that actually I'm really well suited to talk about um, because I just uh, read um, Choosing Death, which is a great book um, about, you know, in the mid-80s or so, you saw death metal become a real thing. You saw grindcore become a real thing. Uh, so they do talk a bit about that, about how bands just sort of changed. They sort of took uh, little pieces from thrash, and they lo- took little pieces from hardcore punk and all this. And thrash itself, uh, and I'm going to dig more into this. I think this definitely will be my next episode. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and thrash itself took so much from that new wave of British heavy metal you know bands like Maiden and Priest being the most obvious ones Um, and again they picked the parts they thought were the most important right that they thought were the most important because you listen to a band like Maiden you listen to a band like Priest there's a lot there that if you're a budding musician you could take inspiration from and go in a totally different direction but these thrash bands took something very particular so I do want to go back. I am going to go back and listen to some early thrash, some some of that new wave of British heavy metal, uh, and I will hopefully be able to report back uh, coherently on that uh, next week. All right. Great. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We're about to hit the 90-minute mark, which I think is a pretty good spot to wrap up. Um, again, you can find me at Lake Dragging on Twitter. Uh, you're always have, welcome to hit me up on email uh, if you want to give me something in long form maybe write me a long letter about how much you hate me or give me a long letter about how much you love me which don't because I'm married that's weird um, but if you're his anyway, wife anything you want to yeah yeah because she's totally listening to um, but <laughs> but you know you can get at me with anything i love that a big part of this as i said it's about starting the conversation it's about getting in touch with one another as a community of fans who think very seriously about these things so thank you for joining me on this listening journey marcus thank you for joining me on of this course, journey buddy. and uh just might have you back one day uh, anything you want to plug you got anything in the works that's coming out soon? uh stuff in the works stuff in the works um like i said we did just put out that episode about uh daredevil yes uh just this past week um daredevil born again you can find that on the feeds again that's mcmf mcmf pod um i got one or two more episodes of that uh kind of in the chamber as it were um and 
that that's pretty much me. All right. Well, I still uh, am going to make good on the threat that I'm going to make you listen or read uh, From Hell by oh, Alan yeah. Moore and make you feel bad. Oh, yeah. We so should, we should do that happen. for Halloween. Oh, that's genius. Yeah. yeah let's do yes, it. the one-year anniversary of the show. You were on the first episode. Makes sense. That is a good... Hey. Going full circle. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, that's me signing off. Talk to you all next week. Uh, hopefully talking about some thrash, hopefully talking about some new wave of British heavy metal. Can't wait. Again, thank you, Marcus. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And here we are, signing off. See you soon.